0: The Women in Media Podcast is proudly sponsored by Organic Traditions for Spring 2024. Stay tuned for a special deal during this episode. I'm Sarah Burke, and this is the Women in Media Podcast, where I explore both the challenges and the victories that women face in the media, in the news, sports, and entertainment spotlight. My guest today is a key player in a major movement about representation in the music industry and she understands the conversation from all sides because she's been an artist herself. She serves on several boards, advisory committees, and juries. She's worked in label operations and publicity, and you'll hear exactly why she's made it her quest to create opportunities and encourage change in this industry.
1: I was in an interview once, and I was applying for a position that had nothing to do with music. It was on the operation side of things. And the person who was interviewing me said, don't you want to be an a Like, you know, you like hip-hop, rap, and R&B, don't you? Because like, you don't know me. Thank- thanks for assuming. But... <laughs> I am a classically trained musician who plays piano, flute, violin, and I sing. I have sung at Roy Thompson Hall. I have won Kiwanis Festivals. So that's not the box you're going to put me in.
0: My guest today is Kezia Myers. She is the executive director of Advance. If you're not familiar, that's Canada's Black Music Business Collective. Thank you so much for coming on my podcast.
1: Thanks, Sarah. Thanks for having me. This is awesome.
0: So we don't know each other too well. We we sort of just started communicating, I would say, at the end of 2021. And I think what you and I have in common is advocating for marginalized voices. How did you find yourself in the media doing this type of work?
1: I fell into this type of work because I realized this work needed to be done because I looked around and realized there were not many people that looked like me and um, getting into this type of work just came with the territory. Actually, you know, it wasn't like I was applying for a job specifically to focus on on this type of work until I uh, applied for this executive director position here at advance. But throughout my time in the industry, I saw a lot of myself reflected in the creators, a lot of myself reflected in the artists, not a lot of myself reflected in higher positions, decision making positions, boards even. And I just felt like there needed to be more done to make sure that there was a pipeline of talent, of people that looked like me and that could relate to me into the music industry.
0: So what was that moment for you where you sort of noticed, and maybe you were really young and you hadn't even been in your profession yet, um, but what was that moment where you noticed, like, hey, none of these people look like me. Why is that?
1: That was when I was relatively young. Um, I had come out of university, and I had taken my first job at Procter & Gamble, actually, so a little bit outside of this music industry, uh, consumer goods. And I had been part of a program that was an internship program for people of diverse cultural backgrounds. And it was when I actually got into my internship that I realized that I was one of these people in this program, but there was really only one of me, one person that looked like me out of all of the other interns that were uh, interning at Procter & Gamble at the time. And so that was my first alert. I also went to a university that where there wasn't a lot of diversely cultural people. Uh where I did went you to go? Wilfrid Laurier University. Okay. And absolutely loved it. So for me it was not I wasn't uncomfortable. It was that I noticed and I was comfortable in noticing, but then I was like, oh. If I'm the only one who looks like me, how many others are there that haven't gotten this opportunity, that don't know that these opportunities exist, aren't taking the chances to go away for university and get into particular programs like this? So I would say that's when socially I I recognized it. And then hopping into the music industry, I was probably more surprised because I thought there was going to be more diversity on the business side of the industry, given the fact that I saw myself reflected on the performance and the creative side of the industry so often.
0: And one of the biggest formats of music, like the most popular, you can argue. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. What was your first music industry job?
1: I was a publicist. my first paid or unpaid? Okay, let's start unpaid. Okay, cool. Um, My first unpaid, I was in university and I built the marketing campaign for a concert that was happening where Nas and Elephant Man were on the same bill. Nice. (laughs) And uh, it was JD Era who was opening for Nas and Elephant Man in Kitchener, Waterloo. And so my first job by way of him basically saying, "Kazia, you're in marketing and you like music and you seem to have the skill set to do this, was that. I developed a brand, a ticket, a marketing campaign and Fine. executed that. Then working with a lot of creatives and realizing that I had the, the skill set to provide business support, but also the joy of helping them succeed in their art, and then jumped into publicity, which was a natural transition there. Moved over to New York, where I broadened my spectrum and just learned a faster pace of work. Um, then got into marketing. Which marketing was in, in New York? And marketing was partially in New York. And then I had come back and got a job within Universal, one of their sub-labels, And I was marketing one of the sub-labels and the talent within, and that led me into this understanding of process. And once I looked at process, I moved into the operations space. So it was label manager at this sub-label, bumped over to Socan, where I oversaw copyright law and redlined contracts to ensure that these... uh, Digital service providers were paying licensing fees and uh, royalties were streaming through and then oversaw the a department at SOCAN, uh, overseeing the processes for 175,000 members. And then George Floyd, show must be paused, and advance is here we are today. So the
0: George Floyd moment, you felt that calling to make a change in your life?
1: It was significant. Um, it was a significant change to me to be able to stand up and unapologetically say there needs to be more people that are from various cultural backgrounds in this case you know black people in a industry of which i am a participant of and a very happy participant within um recognizing the value That Black people have brought to the industry over decades and decades. Um, But the lack of recognition, uh, sometimes even the lack of royalties, and how the treatment has been for Black people on the business side of the music industry really spoke to me um, and said, Kezia, you are in a position where you have a platform and you can make a change. Mm, And I kind of led my careers led me up to the point where I was at the right point of my career to be able to say I can stand at the helm of an organization, understand the the industry, work with all of my friends to really bring um, a more diverse music industry to within Canada.
0: What did you notice uh, in your transition from New York? Back into Canada, and obviously that was years ago now. Um, so, so what did you notice then, and how has it maybe changed?
1: I noticed I was working at a way faster pace than the people here back in Toronto. Um, so when I left, I was 25, let's say, so yeah, and I got there, and I just remember recognizing and really saying. Yeah, people are right. Like, this is such a fast-paced environment. One that I didn't realize because back in Toronto, it was 9 to 5. You go home at 5. In in Manhattan, that doesn't happen. <laughs> um, you know, after work, you're going to another networking event, which leads you to another studio session. Um, and so when I came back, uh, there were two things I realized. One of them was the pace of work and how efficient people were in the spaces that I was working in New York. And I brought that back with me. And I remember it really being about being intentional about what you want to do, being concise about how you want to get there, and then just moving, taking the risk and going. And so I think for my work ethic, that put me a step ahead because I was always thinking about what the next step was. Yeah. The other thing I realized when I came back was, and you're going to laugh at this, they were playing the same music they had been playing when I left. Meanwhile, in New York, they had gone on to the next single, to the next artist, and then I remember tuning in to a radio show when I came back, and I was like, this is literally the same rotation that I left, you know, eight months ago when I left. And I thought wow. that was kind of funny.
0: <laughs> that is funny, actually. and. Yeah, that's a lot of what we hear on the music programming side too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. I feel you. I feel you on that. Yeah. Okay, and what do you think has... Do you think that's changed, like at this point? or?
1: Um, I do think that's changed. I think it's changed drastically. I mean, this was 10 years ago that I'm talking about. And it was just on the cusp of Drake starting to really have a, a, a name in Toronto, let alone worldwide. So I think what's changed is, from a programming perspective, there's so much more that is at your fingertips, there's more access, there are more, um, there's more ways in which we're hearing music and how music is produced. And there's less of a obvious difference, which I think people felt before was, that's definitely coming from the US and and Canada. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And Canada know that that's no longer. And so now you hear these platforms where emerging artists are coming on and rotations are not playing the same thing for a long period of time because they just don't have anything that falls within that category. Um, I think there's still work to be done, especially on the terrestrial radio side, uh, though, which is, you know, again, looking at that diversity. Who is in your space and who are you hiring that's going to bring a lens that is different than the lens that you currently have?
0: Yeah, the lens that, you know, we've sort of just sat back and accepted for a really long time. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, you brought up Drake. I mean, I wasn't going to be all like, tell me about your time working with Drake, but <laughs> tell me about your time. You did have a chance to work with Drake.
1: Uh, I did. And uh, a number of his team and people, I, I was still connected very closely in different circles, uh, depending on the project I'm working with and working on. But uh, the story there is I was away at university and at the time he was just starting to go to Atlanta and come back and really hone in on his craft. And the person who was mentoring him and kind of just showing him the ropes, really, went to university with me.
0: Ah.
1: Ironically, that person also lived in the house with me. And so very quickly, this house became the house on campus. Because on weekends, it was anybody from Boy Wonder to Drake to A-Game, which are a twin duo that are now signed uh, in Atlanta, to Rich Kid and to Bishop Brigante. You know, like the entire industry at the time, uh, like I said, probably about 15 years ago now, um, was in my basement every weekend. And so this is where not only did I learn more about the industry but I was able to really say I want to be able to see Aubrey Graham become Drake become an international superstar and it has been an honor for me to continue to see him and others Yeah, you know, Johnny Rocks who is part of his team and a very very uh, big part of his team now also lived with me when we were in university together in this same house. (laughs) And I saw him go from someone who was in school and just doing school, moving through, going through the motions to really focusing on uh, what he wanted to focus on, which was fitness. And now not only being a part of Drake's team and has been for a number of years now, but also has opened... A few gyms and clubs around the city, so it it's pretty
0: cool. the The first fellow that you mentioned um, is that the producer that now lives in Pickering, is it?
1: Uh, Boy Wonder,
0: yes. I had a feeling that was who you were talking about. <laughs> mm-hmm. So funny, yeah. So, do, like, do you ever look at like that time in your life and, and look back at like not only how far you have come in, in mm-hmm. your industry experience, but I see those guys giving back a lot too, and like really supporting emerging talent.
1: He, rem- he remembers where he comes from. Um, And takes real pride in where he comes from Um, Of all of the international superstars That are in and around hip-hop He's the one that continues to have a house here Even Mm -hmm. Like a lot of times within hip-hop, rap, R&B There is this, you are forced to leave almost Because you're not necessarily getting the support that you need uh, whereas with Drake, he not only has a place here, but remembers where he comes from, supports people from where he comes from. Um, and then I meant you look at the Raptors, you look at how much the Drake effect has permeated. The Jamaican all- patty
0: spot, even. And, and like, the
1: Jamaican Patty spot. Come on. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> exactly. Right? You know, it's, it's staying connected. It's staying involved. Um, It's also not being untouchable, right? You know, when he's around, you could be someone who's never met him before, but he's going to give you the same respect as anybody else. And I think it's really important because that is very Canadian. That's how we are as a a community. And it's so important to be able to have those touch points and continue to make change in a positive way. Um, because Mm -hmm. really it, it creates this sense of pride for Canada as a whole. Mm
0: -hmm. So I think a lot of the time, black musicians, like we almost expect it's hip hop. It's always hip hop, right? Yeah. In the work that you do, you know that that's not the case. In the work that I have done, I know that that's not the case. How do we help get that word across?
1: (laughs) That's a really good question, actually. (laughs) I should pose that to someone like you in programming. (laughs) Um... Well, first of all, hip-hop's not a genre, right? Like, let's just start there. Hip-hop is a movement. Hip-hop is a vibe. Hip-hop is, you know, based upon culture and um, communication and speaking out for what you believe in. Community. But community, exactly. And rap is the genre, you know RB is the genre but if we really look at music of black origin and all of the origins that originate from black peoples it will go back to Elvis right you know Elvis Chuck Berry Carter, was writing even. exactly yeah. <laughs> right um who's writing Elvis's music you know you go back to folk music reggae is a type of folk music um you look at you look at how we understand Christian music and gospel music. Those were songs that were sung by slaves trying to escape slavery and they put them in songs. And here we are talking about gospel. Um, so you know rock, all of these different spaces have so many so much influence from black people. And it only makes sense because where most of this music music originated. Black people were slaves. <laughs> so we're not only are getting the, uh, well, not only are we in the spaces, but we're automatically influencing the spaces that we're in because you're in those spaces. Um, so how do we get that across? Well, we, as a, as a community and as an industry, and when I say community, I mean the music community. As the music community, we need to stop saying and stop assuming that if someone is black that they like hip-hop and rap period or mm-hmm. that they like rap and and r&b period um i was in an interview once and i was applying for a position that had nothing to do with music it was on the operation side of things and the person who was interviewing me said don't you want to be an nr like you know you like hip-hop rap and r&b don't you because like you black. don't
0: know me. Thank, thanks for assuming. But... <laughs> I
1: am a classically trained musician who plays piano, flute, violin, and I sing. I have sung at Roy Thompson Hall. I have won Kiwanis festivals. So, And I and yes, I love hip-hop, rap, R&B, jazz. But that's not where I'm like, that's not the box you're going to put me in. Yeah. <laughs> thanks. No, thanks. Thanks. No, thanks. <laughs> exactly. well, did you did you correct that person? Absolutely. And also yeah. told that person, you cannot ask that in an interview when I'm clearly here for something that is totally unrelated to the a position that you think because you look at me that I want to be.
0: Yeah. yeah. I think we're in a time right now where people are much more cognizant than they've ever been of how they say things and oh, more open-minded as well. Yes. Um, what's like a major breakthrough you feel like you've had maybe with your uh, organization with with advance or something recent in your career lately Mm -hmm. uh, because you can feel that people are more dialed into this conversation
1: I mean I think major breakthroughs uh, are just the fact that the conversation continues Uh, that is something that I can't take for granted because years ago the conversations may have been closed or people would not have been so open to having conversations about what diversity looks like within their organization without it being associated with checking a box. I also am really proud of the fact that Advance has gotten a number of organizations to move to paid internships.
0: Because we don't realize
1: how socioeconomics play into the part of if I can take a paid or unpaid um, internship. Mm-hmm. I realize oftentimes I was in a very fortunate position. You know, My career, as as well as I've done and as much as I have done, a lot of that is attributed to the fortune that I have, the socioeconomic status that I was raised in. And right. I don't take that for granted. I probably did at one point. But like the fact that I was able to call my mom, or I didn't even call her, got home, said mom and dad, I'm supposed to move to New York, and like two weeks from now, I should be there. And they're like, okay, let's go. Like, straight face, let's go. Wolf, we will come with you. They even drove me to New York, made sure I was okay, and I wasn't living in some dingy basement, and then left me and said, see you later. But that in itself is such fortune, right? And I I realize that. So... The big breakthrough to be able to have these organizations recognize that there is a socioeconomic difference between someone who can take an unpaid internship and someone who can't actually creates a barrier and then leaves that person unable to get into a very niche, small group of music industry practitioners. Uh, So labels now are paying their interns and a lot of companies were getting unpaid internships because the schools have a placement program. So when you're coming from an accredited college or university, there's a placement program which means you're covered by WSIB insurance, which also means I don't you need to do this for your credit. But if I go to a mentorship program like Manifesto's mentorship program or if I complete a program like Remixes program as an non-accredited or as a a, a school I'm that a is not rated. accredited by ways of, you know, the the college and university district, then I can't actually apply for a summer internship at any of these labels. Mm, Huge yeah. barrier. So now they're all paying, um, as are so many other um, organizations within within this, yeah. the country. I saw one
0: posted for Universal this week. I know you used to work there. So you're probably like
1: love playing I, a <laughs> tiny little role in that. Yeah. Awesome. I do. Um also Sokan has put up an internship and I I'm heavily like involved in these conversations <laughs> and it's great. And I most recently left Sokan, so it's really funny because it's like I'm not there but I'm still here. <laughs>
0: So it feels like the perfect time to talk about um, what you've been super tied up with recently, which is uh, this Closing the Gap conversation. So for someone who's not familiar, knows nothing about this, let's break that down.
1: All right. Uh, Closing the Gap is a research report based on a research study that was done to look at the Canadian live music industry, really focused on what is experienced by Indigenous, Black, and people of color within these live music spaces, whether that be um, a concert as a crew member or whether that be a performer as as an artist at a particular venue. And we just launched the report here, which was commissioned and overseen by Canadian Live Music Association. Advance played a part in the interview process, in looking at the questions, some side conversations just about context. And that's oftentimes what we're providing to these spaces is contacts and and questions. We also reached out to our own community to get them to um, get involved. And we saw that, you know, the majority of black professionals feel that their their qualifications are questioned. We feel that they have felt that they are discriminated against. And we know that there is a very, very, very low number of black professionals within the live space. Um, And a lot of that has to do with nepotism and and how you get into some of these live spaces. So we're working with CLMA to continue that conversation, to build initiatives moving forward, and to develop yet another talent pipeline of Black music pro- business professionals into spaces like this.
0: Okay, I have two follow-up questions on this. So when you mentioned context and you know how you'd be meeting separately to make sure that things are framed properly, um, could you share something that needed a reframe?
1: I got one for you. Um, um, (laughs) So when the marketing first came out for the study to ask people to participate in the study, I remember seeing it embargoed and I looked at the image and in the image, there were a number of people in this image. And then the one person who was differently abled in a wheelchair was also the black person. And I I, didn't, I highlighted that and just sent a quick note over to CLMA and said, this is one of the things we just need to watch for, is that we can't put all of the equity-deserving things in one person. <laughs> and TV does it. So, so TV does it quite naturally. You'll see the person who's crippled is also the black person, the per- or, or another equity-deserving group. But it's almost like, how can we pack what we need to do to check the boxes into one. And this is definitely not what CLMA was thinking about. However, I knew how it would be portrayed. So I let them know and they changed the picture.
0: Okay, that's a really good example, actually. When you're asking like your community to participate in in something like this, there's got to be triggers involved too. People have gone through trauma. And how do you deal with that side of things?
1: We don't typically have people coming back letting us know so we don't have that kind of communication Mm
0: -hmm.
1: preemptively though we speak to our community understand in a way to let them know we understand that this is something that can be triggering um that we recognize this may be hard however in Mm -hmm. order for change to come we've got to participate in these studies because if there's no participation and then there's no data, and so much relies on data within the the federal system, the provincial systems, politics, the grant system, and they always will revert back to what the data says. And so we are left out if we haven't participated. Now, the context that I also provide a lot of these organizations or these streams of government is we can't only go by data, Because we know that there are nuances and to your point, there are traumas where you may not receive all of the black people participating because they've done it before. They've done it before and nothing has changed. So why are they going to do it now? Because I'm the face? No, I do not have that much clout. (laughs) Um, But they... They, I think, are more encouraged, especially within the music industry where you have Advanced Canada's Black Music Business Collective advocating for you regularly. And on Advance's side, it is always to protect. So that's why I will go in and look at those questions and look at it from a context of, is there something triggering that's here? Mm-hmm. Is there something that's going to result in an eye roll from somebody saying they don't know what they're doing? right? Mm-hmm. I want to be able to get all of that before I say to my community, jump in, your, your, uh, your information is valuable.
0: It's Sarah Burke here, the host of the Women in Media podcast and the founder of the Women in Media Network. Yep, now there's an entire network. I've been working really hard to get things off the ground. And what would I do without coffee? I can barely function without it. But I feel much better about putting a coffee that's full of superfoods in my body. I've been loving the Focus Fuel Instant Mushroom Coffee from Organic Traditions. And of course, all the ingredients are organic. It's packed with Lion's Mane Mushroom to support memory, focus, and cognitive function, adaptogens to nourish your brain, and MCT powder to boost your energy and improve mental clarity. And before you make that face, no, it doesn't taste like mushrooms. It tastes like coffee. Actually, better than most. There are hints of cinnamon and vanilla, and it is absolutely delicious. Did I mention it also just won Best New Mushroom Enhanced Beverage in a 2024 Brand Spark survey? Want to try the Focus Fuel Mushroom Coffee yourself? Head to OrganicTraditions.com and use the promo code WOMENINMEDIA20 for 20% off at checkout. And by the way, that applies for the entire site, not just the coffee. You're welcome. Just add water and get at it. Hey, it's Sarah Burke here, taking a quick break from the conversation to put a little something out into the universe. There's a sweet community that this podcast is building, and I'm starting to think about how we can continue to grow it. If there's a partnership opportunity that you can see finding a natural home here on the Women in Media podcast... Please get in touch. You can email womeninmediapod at gmail.com. That email will also be in the episode notes. And you could also hop on the website womeninmedia.ca and fill out a contact form there. See how fast that was? We could be in and out of it already. Let's get back into it with Kezia Myers. What are a few of the standout points from that report that you don't think enough people have been thinking about?
1: One of the ones that I don't think people pay attention to but is obvious when you say it is that lack of representation is the highest reported barrier for workers of diverse cultural backgrounds in the Canadian live music industry. Hmm. That sense of belonging is non-existent for many, many people. And because it's non-existent for many people, they are almost booted out of the industry because they don't feel like they're wanted, they don't feel like it's a place for them. Um, And so that was that was one that really stood out. It was, again, not surprising, but I think for a lot of people to see it and see it come from true findings of data, that makes a difference because prior to this, it was just hearsay. What's
0: something that surprised you even after all of the work that you have been doing in this space that you're very comfortable in?
1: Say that what what surprised me most uh, was there's 71% of white workers who work full time in the industry, and I did not know that. Um, I didn't realize how many white workers were making full time employment and full time salary on the live side. Because I guess in my head I think live, I think crew, and I think that it is contract based. When I heard 71%, I was like, oh, we have a lot of work to do, uh-huh. <laughs> uh, which means that I continue to work with these organizations providing that lens. But it also means that the work has to go deeper because it means that when we talk about unconscious bias, that bias is probably so deep um, in some cases that I am not necessarily the one that's going to have a touch point with that person. It's somebody who has a touch point with somebody who has a touch point with somebody else.
0: Yeah, cuz there's so many layers to this. Exactly. And even when you and I started talking, you know, at the end of 2021, like a lot of the time my vibe was where do we start? Like there's too much to do. And Absolutely. that's where it's great that these conversations are happening, but a lot of the time, from what I've seen, it's white person talking to white person. Mm-hmm. So that's where I was like reaching out to people being like, who can I speak to that represents this community better? Because this is not working.
1: In a lot of cases, it's a lot of work to do. But if we think about how much work there is to do and that and we become we procrastinate because there's a lot of work to do. Overwhelmed. Um, Then we're overwhelmed and then we're not doing the work. So in my mind, you just have to start somewhere. And I know that it uncovers layers, it uncovers traumas. And once I feel like there's been a success, yes. And then something else happens and you're like, oh, that layer. Um, and, And especially in live, because live and radio have such... Platforms across this country to be able to give a creator a, a long standing career. If there is not enough work done, then we won't be able to get to the point where a Black creator and artist doesn't have to go elsewhere to be validated to come back here.
0: Which is the story you always hear. Which is hear. the story
1: we always hear. But yet we see. Non-racialized peoples who have been able to get that radio play, who have been able to tour from coast to coast without any prejudices about the type of group that they bring, yeah. um, and stay here, get their Hall of Fames, t- get a TV show, you know, you know, oh, <laughs> still on CanCon, and here we are today and that is uh, that's what we want to see for everybody so it's definitely no diss to the person who that does happen to it's the fact that we need to be able to see that from not one white woman but everybody across the board we need more buy-in please (laughs) we need more buy-in need more buy-in which means we need to change structures. which means we need to change mindset um there was a, a breaking down racial barriers that happened in the East Coast in Nova Scotia. And uh, one of the people was saying that he did a um, social experiment of sorts. He, ha- he walked into a venue and said, Hey, can I get this venue? I am a hip hop artist doing this type of music. I'd like to rent it out for this day. The venue owner said, No. Just straight up no. Just straight up no. 10 minutes later, his friend walks in, white guy rap artist says i want to do this and the, the owner said yes and we are still there today that wasn't like i'm not telling a story from the 1960s that's where we are today in some places
0: yeah wow okay let's say yes. you are a music programmer and okay. you've got control of that type of platform in some way shape or form what's the first thing that you would change if you could that's a loaded question, and I understand. very
1: loaded question. Um, I think I would look around and change what the inside of the organization looked like first. Was that the right answer?
0: You're pulling you things
1: out of my brain, so thank you. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we shouldn't be doing this. <laughs>
0: Again, with the lens, right, that we talked yes. about.
1: There, I was going to say there was one uh, one conversation I had with a broadcaster um, in Calgary, and the broadcasters is the, of a country station, and we were talking about diversity in country. I mean, di- that. Country and the diversity within, like the Canadian Country Music Association, is starting to do some really good work because they're recognizing for sure that there are lots of biases, not just to people of color, but to women, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was having this conversation with uh, this person, and he says, Well, we're huh. not. Keyword. He, he says, he says, continue, yes, continue. he also a white man, he um, says, well, we can't be biased. Like, I don't really think that that exists in radio. I said, tell me more about how this doesn't exist in radio. And I actually don't come from radio. So I'm yep. always willing to listen to someone and hear them of out. Course. And he says, well, it's not like we're looking at the people when we listen to their music. But the bias can come from it being a man to a woman. We can hear the differences. So if there's automatically a difference and a bias there and you skew towards the men who are doing country and you are skewing away from the women doing country, what is that to say when it is someone who is from South Asia and they're you know Punjabi and they have a twang? What is that to say from someone who's from New Orleans and they're black and they have a twang? You can tell the difference oftentimes, especially when we're singing something like country where that person originates from. Mm -hmm. And he didn't agree with my idea of what bias was because in his mind well, then that just means it's not good music. And so then what does good music sound like? Good music sounds like X. Well, if good music sounds like X, then there's already a standard to which everything is compared against. Rather than looking at the whole and saying, this is good and applies to this audience versus this audience. And newsflash, we can also bring new things into our space, like a female country artist, and let our audience know this is where we're moving towards.
0: Mm -hmm. Educate the audience. Right. Mm -hmm. So did you end up uh, having a pleasant ending to that conversation or did you agree to disagree?
1: We um, agreed to disagree, (laughs) but Uh, it was still a pleasant conversation um, mm -hmm. because it just opened the door to some other conversations. Um, And I think it also takes time, you know, where this person was, that makes a difference. If that person was maybe in Ontario, the lens, again, would have been different. You, depending on where you are in this country, you have a very different lens based on your own experiences.
0: Mm-hmm. I'd love to know if there's a Black programmer in country radio in Canada. I would love to know that too. I wonder if there is. Mm. By the time this uh, this episode <laughs> is published, I am going to try and find out. There we go. <laughs> Wouldn't that be fun?
1: That would be. That would be yep. Yeah. So
0: to understand a lot of what we've been talking about, like I, I just feel like I would really like to know a little bit about your background and where you come from. Okay. where did you grow up?
1: Toronto. Scarborough, okay. specifically. I hail from Scarborough.
0: Tell me about your family.
1: Oh, man. <laughs> My family. Okay. I was born into... I am a minister's child. I'm a pastor's okay. kid. Mm-hmm. My mother is a... Uh, or was. Uh, They're both retired now. My mother was a young adult youth pastor, um, pastored at everything from the Anglican church to the Pentecostal church, to the Baptist church, to the Korean Baptist church, and the Presbyterian church. So a wide range of different denominations. Um, I was raised in a very musical household, uh, my dad being the most incredible pianist that I've yet had, you know, has still have ever met. Um, annoyingly good though, because he's <laughs> actually never taken a piano lesson. It's <laughs> super. Dad. Good. I know. Meanwhile, I have like my grade 10, and he's like, Oh no, Kezia, you just need to play the chords like this and just add the 13th and the 7th. And I'm like, What? This is unfair.
0: (laughs) Funny. (laughs) Yeah. Okay.
1: Um, But grew up in a very musical household. My mom's side of the family, her brother was the vocal coach for Deborah Cox. Her sister um, has sung opera Porgy and Bess around the world. Um, And so definitely music on both sides of my family Uh, grew up in Scarborough was always encouraged to be in the arts so my dad would be playing for church and ended up playing for Andre Crouch huge name in the Christian scene and Fred Hammond and a number of others my parents network was huge um, just because they were in music and so, people who started choirs like the Toronto Mass Choir, those are my parents' peers. People who started wow. like um, uh, the, uh, Sharon Riley and the Faith Chorale, also my parents' peers. Down to my cousin, who is Brainerd Taylor, who started a classical, black classical choir um, wow. called the Nathaniel Deck Chorale. And his nephew, Julian Taylor, is <laughs> also my cousin. <laughs> And that's so funny. <laughs> uh, also, my, you know, my cousin, um, incredible indigenous, black, folk, traditional roots artist. And um, the uncle that taught Deborah Cox how to sing married into a family where Maestro and DJ Mel Boogie also became my cousin. <laughs> by
0: Come marriage on. we need to draw a family tree <laughs> we of have
1: here. to do a family tree um so I need a visual. that's the basis of me in the music industry like I'm literally yeah. growing up when I was 13 years old I did a project grade seven on this guy named Maestro and like just went over to his house interviewed him came back to school and I was like here's my project and then the fortieth anniversary of the Junos. I was running an event because I was part of this group called the Urban uh, Music Association, and UMAC Urban Canadian Music Association, and we did this huge event um, for the fortieth anniversary of the Junos. And then there, I had hired my cousin. So like literally full circle. Um, I love this. So that's much. my family. And i But I would like a visual.
0: People. So yes, I can We need a visual. And yeah.
1: And the visual will just keep growing. Um, because you know, they're in the black community, you have so many aunties that are not actually your aunties, but like they would be in they would actually be in the family tree also. Of course. I yeah. love it.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, so you mentioned the Juno's, and uh, you've been working on some really exciting stuff for the Juno's. Yeah.
1: Um, tell us a little bit about that, please. Of course. Uh so the Juno's they are coming up. 50th 51st year um and it will be held in toronto uh may 15th will be that broadcast may 14th will be the saturday night awards in gala and advance has been working with karis for a year now last year we were surprised to um, hear that only a year okay only a year i know i've only been in this position for a year So last year we presented the Contemporary R&B Award and uh, that was on the broadcast. This year we will also be presenting, we are presenting the Rap Single of the Year Award and we are so thrilled to have been working with Karis over this year uh, because we are instrumental in helping build those community connections. Through Advance, we've offered free memberships to Caris oh, um that. and many people don't realize if you are not a Caris member you can't vote for the nominees and essentially you can't vote for the winners um so our community doesn't know that but yet we still get upset when someone doesn't win, but we don't actually always know the process and the transparency that's there. Uh, We have assisted Karis in their Junos and finding people from diverse cultural backgrounds for the jury, I should say. Sorry, the jury. Uh, And then coming up the week of Juno Week, we have May 12th will be Advance and Juno Talks, Influential Black Women in Music. It is... Like heavy hitters, black women on a panel, um, prefaced with a performance that will be done by an incredible woman, um, and it's just going to be a, a huge celebration of like black women within music and I, the resilience and determination and motivation that these women have had over their the tenure of their careers. Uh, so that's happening on the Thursday. On the Saturday, there will be a co-presenting and co-programming of the Opening Night Awards. This Opening Night Awards is presented by Music Canada. We are working with Music Canada to create this incredible space, a space that elevates um, what has been done in past years to the point that we're looking at it from an inclusive lens huh. um yeah. and bringing to the forefront the people who are being honored with special awards this year uh, deborah cox is getting the hall of fame award the first black woman to ever be inducted into the hall of fame which is great to say but also when you think about it you're like pardon just yes, now Yeah, 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 for sure. Um, Denise Jones, who will be receiving the Walt Greelis Award, and Susan Aglucart, who will be receiving the Humanitarian Award. So, including them and highlighting these women of great, great, great prestige in this space. Um, while also throwing in some really fun, cool moments so that we create memories. This is the first time we've been in person for the Junos for two years. Um, An opportunity for the 2,000 people at that Saturday night gala to celebrate, remember, and not take for granted, you know, the moments that we have when we're together. So uh, we are really thrilled to be working with Music Canada and Karis on that. Um, and then there will also be the advanced house advanced house will be a hub this hub is for all of the black nominees black music business professionals you know the community at large to connect so it will be very network focused but with this understanding that we'll all be in one place and we'll all be able to connect with those that we may not know in a very safe space. Mm-hmm. Um Oxgod will also be played there and Oxgod is a really incredible uh, game that you have to check out if you don't know it. I have no idea um, what
0: it is. I have to look it up. It
1: is, basically, it is a battle game. So you'll get a card and it will say, play a song that everybody knows the lyrics to. And then you take your ox chord And you're on one team, I'm on another team. And you take your aux cord and you put a song on your own playlist, put your aux cord in, in, and play it to everyone. And let's say you do single ladies. And then everybody's like, oh, yeah, that's it. She gets it. Like, that's, that's the winning one. And it's a battle. And then I have my aux cord, and we would have had to both choose our songs at the same time. And I put, we run the world. And so the judges decide if if you with with single ladies or me with we run the world win that battle.
0: That sounds so fun.
1: Incredible game. So for anyone
0: who wants to partake in Advance House or any of the other Juno events, where can we send them to find out more?
1: You can go on the Advance website and sign up for the mailing list and there will be a Juno newsletter that's going out, highlighting all that we're doing and celebrating the successes.
0: Do you have to have membership with Advance to be at Advance House?
1: No, you don't have to be. You don't have to have membership with Advance. It's just really an opportunity to come and build community. And this might be a weird
0: question, but like, how would it be perceived if like a white person shows up?
1: I mean, I think it's fine. I think everybody thinks it's fine. To be honest, we all need each other. Right. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking Um, about
0: the whole idea of like networking. Right. And sometimes that can lead to more.
1: And that's it is, you know, it will be, it will be promoted to like the entire industry. It gives an opportunity for people to come to feel safe within these spaces. Um, But it will be, I think the comfort level will be that the majority will be black people and that is different than a black person going into a place where the majority is non-black. For person.
0: sure. Okay, you also mentioned that you're getting ready to launch um, a new program called AMPT. Can you also tell me a little yes. bit about that? Of course.
1: AMPT this is our second year doing AMPT. AMPT is our professional development conference. It's focused on uplift, well, not only uplifting, leveling up our industry. There's a lot of people within our industry who have been in roles for a few years, and they want to move upward within their organizations. Their organizations in past may have been biased. It could have been uh, nepotism. It could have been, you know, not seeing the leader in you type of conversation. We want to be able to give insight and pragmatic um, examples and action items for people to take so that they have the skill set that they need if they want to go to the next senior management position or director position. Uh, So this year it will be held in Vancouver. Uh, We are going to be facilitating a conference one to two days where we are really just honing in on a particular um, topic. And once you come out, the goal here is Going in, maybe with limited or no knowledge at all, coming out, being able to take that knowledge and positively affect your trajectory within the music industry.
0: Very cool. That sounds awesome. Okay. We have arrived at my last question. The average person who doesn't have a position in the music industry, what can the average person do to be more aware and continue conversations that will positively affect Black people in the music industry?
1: Um, well, I think being more aware means doing the work, looking at scenarios and situations and critically asking yourself, I wonder why that is. Um, being really true with yourself in saying, let me step back before saying what I think I know and ask people for insight on what they know. Uh, I don't pretend to know uh, every single person in the Black community. We're not homogenous. We are not, you know, linear that way. We disagree. We are different people. But there's a shared experience. However, if I was to go and look at another group, like the Indigenous group, I would step back and say, no, but I need you to tell me, or I need to go and do my own work to have a base understanding, and then I can ask for explanation or some furthered information on what I've learned um it is not the job of the black person the indigenous person or the person of color to tell you all that you need to know not to mention they could be going through a traumatic experience just doing that um so the way that we positively focus on you know black music business professionals and the industry as a whole is asking questions but keeping the conversation going mm-hmm. and if we keep the conversation going if we work together if we recognize some of the obvious things like hip hop and rap is number one in terms of money and revenue throughout the world, let's get some people who come from this cultural background who understand this into our spaces with that shared uh, experience. Now we're making a change to ensure that the infrastructure of the industry is, um, is equitable. I love that.
0: Okay. So I've asked you to uh, think about a few women that yes. you would want to nominate to come on this podcast.
1: Everyone. <laughs> <laughs> who you okay. got? Um, okay. So I would say I would definitely nominate Kaden Douglas, okay. who is the executive director of BIPOC Film and TV. She has done incredible work uh, being so intentional about how she programs for uh, the black people within film and television and really gives them the tools that they need to be able to excel within the spaces that they're in. So I would.
0: Sounds like them. almost a sister organization to Advance, almost, but kind of in film.
1: Yeah? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, I would also definitely reach out to Jamelia Campbell. She was the only black publicist at a major label for seven years. She worked at, I know, crazy. Um, She worked at Sony. She is now the account manager for The Orchard, overseeing both digital and marketing. Cool. Okay. And... I will nominate, but she's she's accessible to you. Uh, I mean, you can't go far without saying the name Vivian Barkley, so I definitely want to nominate Viv. Um, a general Manager of Warner Chapel has come from radio, worked in the industry for over 25 years, and continues to give her time to so many boards to provide that lens when there weren't many of us, if any of us, who had opportunities to be on boards and provide a lens within the industry.
0: I love this conversation with you. I feel like, you know, just getting to know you before I left XM I was like, I'm going to have to follow up with Kezia. <laughs> I have a feeling we have lots to talk about. We <laughs> <Me> do. <too. laughs> Whether or not it ended up on my podcast. Um, I- no,
1: I mean, we, either way, we. Uh, I feel this is a developing friendship. <laughs>
0: But thank you so much for being so open and willing to talk about this stuff. The beautiful part of it is, you know, I think we're actually in a time right now where people are listening and very open to having these conversations, which is a nice change. And you, my friend, are a change maker.
1: I appreciate it. Thank you so much. It has been a pleasure. And uh, I look forward to connecting again.
0: We will put all the uh, links for um, Advance, the organization, Juno stuff, um, AMP, the conference. All of that will be in the episode notes and if you'd like to connect with Kezia, her information will be there too. Thanks so much. That's a wrap. While I've still got you, it would mean the world if you would share this episode with someone you think may need to hear it, subscribe on your favorite podcast service, and even rate the podcast. Bonus points if you leave a review. I'm Sarah Burke and thanks so much for listening. I'm Debbie Travis and I'm Tommy Smythe and this is Trust Me, I'm a Decorator. We're now podcasters. And why did we call it that? Well, you know us as decorators, but we've got lots more to share. We want to talk about travel and relationships. We're going to have amazing guests on. Guests who inspire us for sure. We'll probably talk about design
1: too. And of course, Tommy, don't forget about food. Oh my
0: gosh, how did I forget about
1: food? So please follow or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or as they say, wherever you get your podcast. And we'll pop right up. And we have a new episode.
0: Where's the luck? This podcast is distributed by the Women in Media Podcast Network. Find out more at womeninmedia.network.